It's a privilege to gather together to worship, isn't it? You get a sense of that when you are facing homelessness, potentially. Um, what a privilege it is to gather together to worship to God. Um, our text this morning is Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. If you want to begin turning there, follow along in your Bible or your app. And if you don't have that, I think we'll have it on the screen for you. Uh, if you're newer with us, we've been studying the book of Exodus. That's the second book in the Bible. It's the story of God's chosen people as he brings them out of slavery in Egypt and he establishes them as his treasured possession. Those are his words, not mine. And we've made it all the way to chapter 20, which contains the Ten Commandments that are probably familiar to most of us at some point. If you're able, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read our text this morning? Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together as you take your seats. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light into our path. We've committed, uh, much like your people here in Exodus, to follow it as your children, even though more often than not we fall miserably and choose to go our own way. Father, in our brief time together this morning, remind us of your goodness the pain that comes from rebellion, and the blessing and joy that comes from you alone. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. This morning we're looking at the fourth commandment, as we've already said, remember the Sabbath. Now there's so much that we could get into when we talk about the Sabbath. We could talk about the history and the practice of the Sabbath that follows after this text when we look at the people of God, but I'd like to focus our attention this morning just on the context of our scripture here, where we've been, and then giving us this commandment. So we get the true context um, of God giving this commandment to a people who are just starting out after generations of slavery in Egypt. That's kind of the context that I want to focus on this morning. And I, and I want us to center our talk uh, this morning, our study this morning on three concepts. The first is this, taking off what is natural, putting on what is beneficial, and sharing what has been gifted. Taking off what's natural, putting on what is beneficial, sharing what has been gifted. God charges his people here to remember, which has the natural implication that we are prone to forget. It wasn't long ago that we looked at Exodus 16 where God's people were in a place uh, with an in inadequate food supply. And God's answer was a gift to them called manna, a new substance that he supernaturally put together to provide for them each night. But you may remember that God's supernatural would, allow them, would not allow them to store it more than they needed for the day. I'm sure if you're a planner and you're trying to think for the numerous people of Israel and all of your li livestock, it's maddening to think that you don't know, you can't count, you can't store, and you have all these mouths to feed and provide for, 
and you have to wait for the next day, and all you have is God's word, that he'll keep it, that he'll provide for you, and you will eat. Now, I want you to think for a second that this is, this is a people who spent generations, 400 years, serving pharaohs in Egypt, serving gods and the gods of Egypt that oftentimes changed their minds, that oftentimes failed to show up when they were supposed to, and blame was passed around. So every day they're forced to rely on God, except on the day before the Sabbath. On that, they were, given, they were told that they were given a double portion. And we're also told that supernaturally, it did not spoil overnight, but it kept so that they had all that they needed on the day of rest that God had put aside for them. Now, in that alone, we get this hard and fast rule that God is telling his people that we can take to the bank. Nothing asked of us by God will lack his provision. That's a hard and fast principle that you can tattoo on your arm if you're looking for one of those or some other place, and you need that truth that you want to rest in it. It will never change. It is a timeless truth. Nothing that God asks of us will lack his provision. Now, the struggle for us is this. As soon as I say that, you and I probably have lived long enough that we can account for some time, if not multiple, multiple instances, where we feel like God failed to provide for us. We can think of a time where we felt like God drew us out into the middle of nowhere and he failed to show up. He failed to provide as he promised or as we had hoped. Instances where we step out in faith, trusting that the Lord has got our back and find in some ways that we feel like he doesn't. It creates doubt. And doubt is really all the elements that are needed here for us to act like the people do in Exodus 16. Even though God had told them not to gather extra manna, that didn't stop the people from trying to gather extra manna. If we go back to where sin enters the world in Genesis 3, Two specific areas are directly affected by sin. Work and rest. First, it affected our work. God gave Adam dominion over the earth. He charged him with its care to work it and help it to grow. But after Adam fell, this part of his curse that we read about in Genesis 3.17 is that the ground that he would be called to work, it wouldn't come as easily as it did before. We're not given the details of what it looked like before the fall. All we know is that because of the curse of sin for Adam, it was going to be harder. It was going to fight him to produce fruit. He would have to sweat and work harder than before he sin and, and corruption put the world and himself in bondage. It also affected our rest. Man was the pinnacle of God's creation, and we're told that God walked in the garden with Adam. I want you to imagine for a moment that if you were going on a journey and, and you could take anyone with you when it came to uh, supply, when it came to having what you needed, not running out of money, not getting mugged, whatever it is, and you could pick one person to walk with you and you were given God. I want you to think for a moment the amount of security and comfort that you would have to know that the one who resourced the world 
and held time in his hands and spun all things into motion. You can't surprise him. You can't overcome him. And he's right there with you. The amount of security and peace that you would have knowing that God is watching over you. When we talk about the rest of God, that's what we're talking about. It's about having the God who is all of those things with us, providing for us. Psalm 23 does this great job of comparing God to a shepherd who watches over his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He gives me security to relax. He leads me behind still waters. There's no no, uh, danger of falling in and being swept down. They're clean and pure. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have no fear of evil because you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even at the worst moments of my life, I will sit down and have a meal. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I have everything that I need, even abundance. Under the good shepherd's supervision, nothing can surprise, nothing overtakes. And we have his undivided love and attention. That's the life we had with him in the garden before sin. And when we fell in our sin, we're we're told that Adam was put out of the garden. and, And he lost the presence of God. He was left to work harder, and he was unable to rest. The best and most appropriate example for for our text this morning is God's people under the yoke of slavery in Egypt. If we remember that story of what it meant to be a slave in Egypt, having to work harder and harder day after day under the harsh hand of an evil, tyrannical overlord that refused to let them stop working, that refused them the basic right of rest and sleep, The very institution of the Sabbath for the people of God comes after their rescue from Egypt. In the shadow of this tyrannical, evil hand comes a gracious God. God gives his people one day out of every seven, and he says, stop your labors. I don't think we understand the context because you've never had to work like they did. And if you have, what a gift that would be. To be given a day and say, stop your labors. The Sabbath is about taking off what is most natural to us. It's also about putting on what is beneficial. We've never needed the gift of God's rest more than we do now. It's interesting, I've heard God describe the way that I just described Pharaoh. Harsh-handed, tyrannical, overlord, more interested in pushing us around and telling us what to do. We read this fourth commandment, and and we talk about, it's like, well, I don't have enough time in the week, and now you're saying you're going to take a day from me? How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to get the rest that I need? How am I going to, how are we going to, you're telling me I have to go to church? I have to dress up and do my hair and get my kids all dressed up too and out of their pajamas once a week? That doesn't seem like rest. It seems like work. The day of rest is more described as a day of no. Don't do this, no to that, no to this. 
But for those of us that choose to take matters into our own hands and choose not to trust in the words and wisdom of God, the numbers don't look good. The numbers of those struggling with greater levels of anxiety and depression, record numbers, continues to grow and gets even younger every year of those on medication for these things. A study by Barna, a research group, done eight years ago now, eight years ago, that was pre-pandemic, 42% are satisfied with their work-life balance. 42%. 39% are satisfied with their overall rest. 28% are satisfied with their overall stress levels. Among Christians, only 19% report doing no work at all on their rest day. If you look at the context of the Sabbath, you understand it isn't as much focused on physical rest. Even in the first Sabbath that's recounted in verse 11, we know that God doesn't need physical rest because he doesn't grow weary physically like you and I do. The rest for God that's mentioned in verse 11 is a moment to reflect. It's that moment where you take that bite of that perfect meal and you just push away from the table. You know you still have more to go, but you just sit back and you just savor the bite that you've just taken the goodness of what you've just put into your mouth. Likewise, for the people of God, the Sabbath wasn't about, was about ceasing their labors, something not afforded to them by Egypt, and reflecting on the one true God, who's the very opposite of Pharaoh. The one who rescued them with mighty acts brings them, to the, brings them the miracle of, of refreshment, even in the midst of the desert with manna and water from a rock. The Sabbath is about taking off what is most natural to us. It's about putting on what God has deemed beneficial for us. If you find yourself blowing past a day of Sabbath rest because you labor six days and you haven't accomplished enough, God gave his people a double portion of manna in the desert and kept it from ruin because he wanted his people to know. He wanted to teach them that, he could, that they could trust him with all that they needed. The unnatural discipline of keeping a Sabbath reminds us that God rescues us from our labors. But we have to learn the difference between what labors are necessary in which are desired. We, we don't have time to really get into that this morning. But if you're finding it difficult to set aside a day of rest, like God is describing here, it, it may be worth this week just taking, an, taking a moment and, and doing an honest inventory of your family's week and asking yourself, by God's standard, what is necessary and what is desired? We have more time and more resources than most people in the world. And yet, our greatest struggle continues to be contentment. How much is truly enough? And what else is just keeping up with the Joneses, as they say? If you find yourself blowing past a day of Sabbath rest because you labor for six days and you, and you don't feel tired yet, 
You're like, there's more in the tank. I've got more. I can get another week out before I really need to stop and rest. Then remember, God's rest on the seventh day wasn't because creating the world exhausted his physical resources. We're given this model in verse 11 to remind us that if God rests, then we know it's not about physical, at least not entirely about physical restoration. There must be more to it than that. The one who holds time itself, who made time, took time to savor what he had done. God offers you rest that is greater than physical recuperation. God offers you a rest from your anxious soul that often looks at the world and and can be prone to think that God is not in control. Who looks at your circumstances and says, okay, we have a meeting place this week. Where are we going to meet next week? Instead of just stopping and thanking God that we're meeting today. Looking back and, and, and recalling all of the great things that God has blessed us with this week. All of the things that remain true. All of the things that are in front of us. He gives us a rest that is far more than physical recuperation. The unnatural discipline of keeping a Sabbath affords us the opportunity to take God at His word and focus 24 hours on the thing God says brings restoration and refreshment for our souls. The last part of verse 10 reminds us that it's our duty to teach this unnatural discipline to those in our care, starting in verse 10. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. We talked about how critical discipleship is in the life of believers often here to share this wonderful news, to share this wonderful gift that you've been given. We're to share the gift that's been given. The things that we have seen with our eyes and learned, we teach to those in our care. Our children, those who are in and around our lives, even those things that, um, that demand our constant attention, like livestock, housing projects, duties, other things that demand our attention must be conditioned in every way that we possibly can, must be taught and conditioned every way we possibly can to help us more freely be able to receive the gift that God has given to us. Best example I know is, you know, my my dog is stubborn. She often does what she wants. But she can be trained with patterns and regularity. And one of the worst things that I can do for her is create instability for her. Do things differently all the time. Not be consistent. That's the worst thing I can do for her training and her, for, for her to feel the freedom to be the way that God has created her to be. If you find yourself allowing your kids' schedules allowing those who don't profess a love for God or a need to obey Him, your work or the things that you own, if you allow those things to rule over you, let me just say you're not alone. You're in a company of brothers and sisters who fight the same fight 
We're in a culture that oftentimes has just said God is dead or God is not real or God is not active and we should do our own thing. And so they ask us to measure up and fall in line. And so you're in a room full of strugglers who are also struggling to set these boundaries in the right places and figure out what this is. What better place to wrestle with these things? But if you find yourself just falling into cultural norms instead of helping to set the new culture, that's what God intends for his beloved. Us to model a refreshment and a rest. If you read Hebrews 4, it talks about the exclusivity of God's rest. And those who are able, who are in Christ, able to enter into it, and those who are outside of Christ, that aren't able to enter in. God calls us to model a refreshment to the rest of the world that they can't have without Christ. But first, we must believe it, and we must trust in it ourselves. We must make a commitment to follow it and condition uh, ourselves and the things around us to try and keep it and believing that God will provide. What, what, if we read, what if we read the fourth commandment, not with the harshness of Pharaoh's tyrannical heart in mind? What if we read it in the context of coming out of a season of endless labor and no rest, under a, a tyrannical, evil hand of one who oppressed and did not love, gave not mercy, or grace? What if we read the fourth commandment with, with that in mind? With the, with the view of a gracious and merciful God asking you, permitting you to lay your labors down. The labors that are endless and fruitless and instead seek refreshment from Him. Are you blowing past the Sabbath because you aren't content? You just think you need more. And the Sabbath is that bonus day for you to get ahead. Are you blowing past the Sabbath because you think that you have more in the tank? You're, you're thinking about physical restoration and thinking, I have more in the tank, so I will use that. Instead of stopping, and you have a misunderstanding of the rest that God provides. Have you truly understood the tremendous gift that God gives us as we cease our labors? We celebrate a God who has rescued us from our endless labor, and, and we take the moment to cease and trust him to provide for us in ways that are beyond the physical. Have you experienced the benefits of being able to seek the means of grace one day out of seven? and better savor the greatness of God. Let's pray together. Father, I say this, we're, we're all in good company. I, I know one of the early, when we were figuring out what Zoom was, and we were getting on, and we were talking as pastors, and figuring out how we were going to survive as churches, one of the things that we said first and foremost is this may be a forced Sabbath on those who break it the most pastors, churches, 
who constantly do, 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 more, more, more. They use, uh, they use Sundays as a means to, to get, grow gain for themselves. And they, they underwork during the week, perhaps. And so, Father, I pray that we as a community would see all of the ways in which we have either misunderstood rest that you're calling us to, not trusted you, failed to obey. And, Father, we would tap into those who've been under slavery and unable to rest, unable to be satisfied in the inner man, in the inner woman, that you would cause us afresh and anew to consider this gift that you've given to us and what it might mean to trust you in obedience. Father, I pray that we would not just walk away with here with a, a better sense of doing or, or not doing in order to gain the favor and the joy that comes from God. Entering into your rest comes by the blood of Christ alone. And so, Father, for those who are wrestling with what it means to be in a relationship with you, Father, I pray that we would continue to wrestle with that, that we would come to an understanding it is by grace that you've been saved. It's not of our own efforts, our work, or what we do, what we ascribe to. It is gifted to us through faith in Christ alone. Father, we would come into an understanding and a knowledge Spirit, work within us, we pray. Convict us of our sin and our, uh, our, our ways of not resting and lead us to the way everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name.